welcome to Formula ReZone's Sunday post-race show from the London E-Prix. We're here at the Boss Emotion Club, probably the only time we'll ever get to step foot in this area. But Topher, I'm with Topher Smith again, obviously from Downforce Radio. What a mad race we had today. In the race we had yesterday was, uh, let's say, a little bit tame in comparison to a lot of the Formula E races we have seen in the past. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't processional. It was still a good race. It was still very enjoyable. But compare that to what we had today, it was absolutely manic. It was peak Formula E. We saw plenty of crashes, especially over at Turn 10 on the other side of the circuit. We had a disqualification for Degrassi after the race as well. Plenty going on in the stewards' room. Plenty of penalties handed out. It's a typical day in Formula E, isn't it? It was a typical day in Formula E. And let's start with Lucas Degrassi, because obviously his garage is just behind us. So what a move let's first and foremost i think what a move from audi right the safety car was going so much slower than usual down that straight and they took a risk they took an opportunity they didn't quite get it right which has been released that, that he didn't quite stop in time did degrassi but what do you make on obviously the move that they did and and do you think we might see because the safety car is normally quite slow in formula Rio. i feel like we've heard this a lot do you think if other teams are in this situation that they might think about it, considering how successful Degrassi could have been with it? Uh, that's one of the things I thought about when I was watching the race, just how slow the safety car is. We've seen it in other Repri as well. I don't get why it has to be so slow. Like I know they need to energy save, but why is it that slow to a point where a driver can come through the pit lane, come to a stop and re-emerge in the lead? And it was a brilliant move from Degrassi and from the Audi team. It was a stroke of genius in some ways. But you just have to think, why has that been allowed to happen? I think, in my opinion, the safety car should maybe go at the pit lane speed limit. So if someone does decide to do that down a pit lane, they're still going at the same speed as the pack behind the safety car. And if they have to come to a complete stop, they're then losing time. I mean, obviously, energy savings is a big thing in Formula E. That's one of the reasons why they go so slow. And I don't think a move like that should really be allowed to happen. It's not cheating. There's nothing in the regulations that says like it can't happen. And the reason why Degrassi got the penalty was because he did not come to a complete stop. Now I've seen a video from inside of the pit lane. There was someone filming right by the Audi garage. And it showed that Degrassi tries to come to a stop, but just as he pulled away again, his wheels still a bit of movement. That was proven in the telemetry and he got a penalty. And then the disqualification, uh, disqualification came about later on because he failed to take his drive through penalty. It, should it have happened? I don't think so, but it's, it's not against the regulation, so I think we can say it was a genius idea from the Grassi and Audi. Just a bit unfortunate that it was a split second that made a difference. Yeah, just a reminder that for a penalty that's been handed out, you've got to take it within three racing laps. And obviously, Degrassi didn't take it within those three racing laps, which is and why he was disqualified on the final lap is because you can't take a penalty like a drive-through on the final lap of the race. So let's go and hear now what Lucas Degrassi had to say about the incident. The burning question is, did you stop or did you not stop? The wheels were completely stopped, but the car was sliding. So what does that mean? Because now... Imagine, imagine that you are... Imagine when you lock your brakes in the bike and you're sliding with the brakes locked in. The floor is so slippery here that I locked the wheels, but the car had some movement. And so that's the reason uh, they, 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 I got a penalty in the end. Small detail. Small details. Because for me, I love it when a team's bold, right? I love it when a team's bold because someone switched on, right? And I love it when you see it. Do you think 
like we've seen this before because it happened in Berlin under full course yellow yeah, last right, season, exactly. right? Same rule. Same rule. And they, but they came in under full course. I don't know if they stopped. We didn't see it, but they caught up five no, seconds to someone. Yeah. After that, so you don't gain any advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So in the full course yellow in Berlin when it happened, I think it was season five, yeah. first race of season five or something. That they added the stop that you have to stop in your garage. So if there is full course yellow, there is no advantage because you are going at 50 kph on the straights. With a safety car, it's not a clear advantage. To make this move, the safety car must be going very slow. If the safety car speeds up, you end up losing places. So it's not a guaranteed move. I think the team was very clever and took a lot of risks to do this move. The light could have been red. The safety car could have sped up. Anything could have happened. We made the move because we thought that was the right approach. And in the end, we got a penalty because of this small detail already explained. But I fully support myself and Audi's decision to do that. Talk to me about the safety car speed, because I know obviously you were trying to gain an advantage on that, but do you find it annoying at times that it is going slower than what the minimum pit lane speed limit would be? Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower. It, it varies a lot. Uh, so you have to feel it and kind of make the call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, I, don't, I don't think it's annoying or not annoying. I think it's just a fact that the safety cars sometimes are very slow. Hard luck today, but valiant effort, I suppose. Right, we have to talk Alex Lynn now. Obviously getting his first win in Formula E, and he was really emotional. We were both there in the press conference, and you could tell he was really emotional. He's been on that journey, that pole position for in New York, then it didn't quite work out with him in Vision Virgin Racing back then. And then obviously the move to Jaguar, again, didn't quite work out, but he had pace, he showed glimpses. He didn't keep that Jaguar drive when he, he jumped in after with PK. And you just like, oh, you felt for him today when he won that race and you felt like you felt that passion. And there's one word that resonated with me when I spoke to him in the media pen after the race and that was finally. He's finally got the duck off his back in Formula E. He's been knocking on the door of a victory for some time now. We saw him take position at his home E-Pre, uh, sorry, debut E-Pre in New York back in season three, I think it was. Yep. So you already saw straight away the potential Alex Lynn has within this championship. And there's been chances here or there. He was running at the front in New York back when he was racing for Jaguar back in season five. He ran near the front in Valencia this season when we had the wet E-Pre. And now he's finally gone and got the job done here in London. I think finally is absolutely the right word there. We know how good Alex Lynn is as a driver. He's a champion of GP3. He won races in GP2 and was a test driver within Formula One. Didn't quite get the race seat within Formula One, but he's now come over to Formula E and has proven he takes uh, he has what it takes to be successful in the series. Were you surprised? I suppose every driver reacts differently in a situation when you finally win and you've gone through that stress because, you know, he was quite subdued, really. Everyone thought that he would be over the moon and delighted, but he, he didn't really have that sort of demeanor about him. He was like, he was like he was taking it all in, like that pressure had, had been released. Do you feel, were you surprised by the way he acted? Um, I think more than anything, it might have been the weight off his shoulders. He's been chasing after this for quite a while now. But he's been in since season three. We're now in season seven, and he's gone and got his first E Prix victory. But, but we heard the team radio from him after the race, that shout of victory, that shout of excitement. Let it all out as he crossed the line in the knowledge he'd taken his first E Prix victory. But then after that, you sort of start to take it in, and you think, you know, you, you assess. You assess what's gone on, how it's happened. And with him, it would have been a weight off his shoulders. So he might have seemed a bit subdued after the race, but I think that's just down to the fact that he knows he's finally got the duck on his back and he now knows he has what it takes to win a race in Formula E. 
Yep, so let's hear now from Alex Lynn after his win today. Firstly, congratulations. Talk to me, because I feel like from the press conference, I know your journey, that pole position in New York on debut, then obviously going to Jaguar, then in and out of the series. And it felt like it was a big weight off your shoulders. Just from a personal standpoint, just how does it feel obviously finally winning and getting that monkey off your back? Like you mentioned, uh, an incredible journey. One that's been very painful, to be honest with you, on a personal side within Formula E. So uh, yeah, to finally win a race is a big personal box tick for myself and one I, I will never forget. Talk to me about why, why, is it, why was it so painful? Like, do you feel like you could have given more and when, when you sort of like fell out of the series and obviously coming back in, do you felt like there was a little bit, I could have done something else? A little bit. I mean, you always blame yourself. I think a, I think a, a great racing driver always looks internally first. And um, I sometimes felt I hadn't given the best account of myself and hadn't shown the true me. So to finally do that this season on a few occasions, it, it means the world. So obviously Mahindra obviously brought you back for Berlin. And do you feel like you've repaid Bill Bag that opportunity that you feel like, you know what? Thank you for giving me the opportunity, and this is why you sh you counted on me. I hope so. I hope he's. I hope he takes that. Thank you. Perfect. And obviously, just on the race, because obviously we talked yesterday about tyre deg, and obviously how did the safety car? Maybe the weather conditions yeah, being yeah. a bit cooler. How did that really help you in in terms of getting this race? It definitely helped. It definitely helped to to keep the tyres under control and and everything like that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. Okay. We've now got to talk about one of the major incidents that happened along this straight, which was obviously Antonio Felix da Costa and Andre Lotara. Antonio did the switchback, you know, dummied him effectively, but then it looked like on the video that Lotara either didn't know he was there and pushed him into the wall, or knew he was there and tried to squeeze him, but it went wrong. Um, how did you assess the crash, first of all? Well, watching it at the time on the TV, straight away I felt it was Lotara's fault. He forced the Costa over to the inside of the track. And if you go down there, it happened just behind us. You'd probably be able to see the part of the barrier that the Costa struck and where it buckled his front left suspension. And then he ended up in the, uh, in the runoff area down at the exit to turn one. I felt so it was Lotter's fault. He did definitely squeeze him over to the side of the track. And the Costa was, I think, rightfully annoyed after him. I've spoken to both drivers since the incident. Da Costa, he didn't give too much of an answer, but he didn't really need to. He was very short but sweet in his reply. He was not at all happy with Andre and how he, uh, how he drove there. Said it wasn't the sort of driving standards you'd expect in a world championship like this. But then speaking to Lotterer as well after the race, he put more of the blame on Da Costa. He felt so that he defended early enough that it should have forced Da Costa to the outside line instead of the inside. You can take that how you want from Lotterer. I mean, the only thing you've really got to go on when you're in a position like that is your mirrors. You can only see so much. They're only you know, about that big. There's not that much to see. And he felt so he defended early enough that he could have kept the inside line. But Acosta, he kept his foot in, got alongside him. My reading of that is I think Lotterer probably should have realized that the defense wasn't on and that Acosta was on the inside and given up the corner. We know how hard a racer Lotterer is. He doesn't want to give up positions. But my honest reading of that is that Tacosta was already on the inside. He already had track position. Lotterer should have just let it go. Yeah, I agree. I was surprised that when Lotterer was sort of saying, well, it wasn't really my fault, um, you know, and I was quite surprised. And I did ask him, like, did you see him? Like, it was a late move from Tacosta. Like, he'd gone one way, so Lotterer would have thought, okay, I need to go this side. And then by that time, he was on that side. So I was thinking, did you see him? Like, just be honest. Did you not know he was there? And he didn't really confirm 
or deny that he saw him. He just sort of said, well, you know, he kind of drove into a wedge or space that, you know, he didn't need to drive into. So what I think we should do now is pass over to Antonio Felix Costa and Andre Ledra and let you hear what they had to say. Talk me through, obviously, the collision with Lottery. You looked like you dummied him really well and he just, it looked like he squeezed you in the rules. Is that how you see it? Absolutely. That's exactly what happened, you know. I overtook another 10 drivers in, in that in that corner and uh, he was the only one to he's just a sore loser and uh, it's always him like yeah it's, it's just frustrating man well look i defended early on from the beginning and uh for sure there was uh, not enough space and then he started to touch me on on my rear left and then uh yeah that, that, then we know the rest there was uh, i mean he he decided to go in that little hole and uh uh, he had the extra speed, he, he could have also gone on the right side. Uh, and there's always a risk when you launch it from behind. Uh, for me, uh, I don't understand why the stewards are uh, blaming me because, you know, I'm, I have the right to defend and uh, he, he's coming from behind with, with touching me and, and putting my car sideways. So, yeah, uh, it's disappointing. Okay, and obviously this race was full of incidents and we got to talk about poor Stoffel Van Dorn leading that race and then was just taken out at turn 10 by Oliver Rowland. Oliver Rowland got his brakes wrong. I just feel like for Stoffel we can't catch a break. He's, you know, I think Rome he was he qualified and he got disqualified or something like that. And every time he's done well in qualifying Van Dorn, something's happened that has just ripped that luck away from him. Like how do you assess obviously the incident and just Van Dorn's luck in general? Well, we all saw what happened on the TV. Oliver Rollins tried to make a move down the inside of another driver. I can't remember exactly who it was now, but he tried it down the inside of another driver, locked up his brakes and careered into the side of Stoffel Van Dorn. Van Dorn, a completely innocent victim in the incident. And up to that point, having an absolutely fantastic race and probably should have won the E-Prix today. Uh, it's the way it goes in motor racing. Sometimes you will get incidents like that, where one drives not a vault and the other one very clearly is. And even Oliver, he said it himself after the race, he fully accepted blame for that instance. He said he made a mistake, missed his breaking points, and Van Dorn just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, I don't think there's really too much more we can say on who's to blame in that one. Roland did accept responsibility. He knows full well that he was at fault for that one. But you can't help but feel sorry for Stoffel, can you? It should have been his race today. Yeah, and Roland admitted, you know, that he just locked up, went too deep, and he, he told that to Van Dorn as well. It was a little crumb of comfort for Van Dorn because he was like, well, you know, he really felt that this was his chance to get his title challenge on. Obviously, it would have been huge for Mercedes in the team's championship, and as well as the freeze, both of them could have been fighting for the title, and both of them could have been fighting, well, helping fight for the teams. But obviously, he ends up finishing in 11th, not scoring. We've got Stoffel Van Dorn ready for you. So let's hear what he had to say. I don't really know what to say, to be honest. Um, massively frustrated. Um, yeah, very painful at the moment to uh, to come away from here uh, with uh, yeah with this with this result. Um, you know, we are clearly the quickest out there today. Um, qualifying, put it on pole, and uh, then the race. Um, yeah, we were leading easy. We managing. Uh, managing the pace at the start of the race so everything was was you know quite under control let's say but um yeah it is the way uh, yeah right i'll call you um so yeah 
uh, don't really know what to say to be honest. I mean, completely out of my control. I spoke with uh, with Oli after the race, and he, you know, he said he completely missed his breaking breaking zone and 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 lost control basically. So uh, yeah, um, wrong place, wrong time, I guess. But you know, it 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 just really hurts. And and if you look at the season as a whole, I've, I've potentially lost uh, lost three victories now. You know, I had the Valencia where qualified on pole and and got disqualified then i had rome where um, uh, got pole position and and got taken out on lap one and now i have here where i was uh, you know virtually re leading the race and uh, and uh, and taken out again so uh, yeah it just really hurts okay i think now we have to talk jaguar because obviously it was a horrible day yesterday and obviously mitch evans has come through today to get a podium just relief i suppose at the end of the day even though it wasn't a great race and mitch evans explained that it wasn't really a great race it was a bit scrappy on his part but i suppose just crossing that line in third must have been such a big relief considering what happened yesterday well it's been a bit of a tale of two races for the jaguar team today they had a really poor day of it yesterday double dnf for the team which i think might be their first in their history within formula e so they were a bit on the back foot coming to this race, not maybe in terms of like their position in qualifying, but in terms of their morale in some ways, they just had a really poor day trying to pick themselves back up and get something out of the weekend. And on one side of the garage, we have Sam Bird who got caught up in contact with Norman Nato uh, later on in the race, which dropped him like way out of contention. But then we have Mitch Evans who, who's, he was a bit quiet in the race. We didn't see too much of him, but he just picked up the pieces when it mattered. So you have lots of collisions up ahead of him. So the likes of Rast and Buemi are the uh, hairpin, for example. Uh, Bird and Nato as well, as I've already mentioned. Evans just picked out the pieces and he came home with third place. And I think that might end up being a very crucial result for Jaguar. It's a third place. It's 15 points in the championship. And who knows? By the time we come to this time at the end of Berlin, 15 points could be what decides it. Exactly. So let's hear what Mitch Evans had to say in the post-race press conference. It was a mess of a race, to be honest, from my behalf. Um, first, the first one was a mistake I made quite early on in the race about Alex to get his attack done without me passing him, so I sort of handed that to him. Mm -hmm. um, I was sort of biding my time, I was set up on everyone on energy heads on a very sensitive track for the energy, but just mm -hmm. wanted to get ahead of the game so I could you know, be aggressive on the attacks. And then um, with the Stockwell Rollins incident, um, I actually was I locked up into, the, into, into turn 10 and allowed Gunter to get um, sort of passed me and then I made a stupid move and I, I, I went to a pass him into the next pair um, and uh, I, I sort of hit him into the side and sort of got jammed and then after that the, the wing was about to about to uh, break um, well, I thought it was I thought it was over actually I thought my race was done um, it was rubbing on the tyre and then fortunately um, it, uh, it broke lap later and, and uh, Freed, freed me because I thought I was, I was sort of deja vu from the race before with, with the wing. And then I thought I'd just save with that, but to be honest, it was, it was a lifesaver. And then I just had yeah, to just finish off the job. But again, I made my life even more difficult um, by missing the second attack, which basically gifted the, the podium to, to Robin. Fortunately, I could do my attack and pass him again. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a tricky one because, you know, the, as, as Nick touched on, like, the, the energy was so high um, and it was just impossible to, to get, uh, you know, the, the, the closing periods are so, so small. 
for lucky I could I got I did a good move on him and then just bring home from there. So uh, yeah, completely messy race. Um, happy for the points and the, and the result of the team, but just the way I I let's say I um, executed it was was pretty poor. So um, anyway, I wanted to, I, I really wanted to a big result and I needed one and we got it. So I guess it doesn't really matter how you do it as long as it gets done. So uh, yeah, now we fight on to Berlin. So I suppose the last thing really to talk about, I think, is Nick the Freeze. Obviously finishing second today, but had the opportunity when Antonio Felix da Costa crashed. You know, Van Dorn was already in attack mode at this point, and we felt like he doesn't—he didn't need to take attack mode, but he went to take attack mode knowing that the safety car was going to come out, which then Alex Lynn didn't take that attack mode during that period. And then obviously once the safety car had come out, Alex Lynn had took that attack mode, and that was the key effectively to Alex Lynn winning this race. Do you think now, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, that Mercedes really shouldn't have taken an attack mode there with Nick De Vries? Well, hindsight is a wonderful thing, as the saying goes. There's lots of ifs and buts you can talk about once the race has completed, but what really matters is what happens in that moment. Did De Vries know that there was going to be a safety car? Did the team communicate that to him? I don't know. That's a question that only they can answer. Watching it at the time, like both me and you, we said at pretty much the same time, we felt so it was the wrong move to go for attack mode at that particular moment, especially with the fact that there's a safety car inbound at the time. But did the freeze know about it? I mean, that's a question we might not know the answer to. Uh, with, the benefit, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that it was probably the wrong move and it might have cost the freeze a victory, but I don't think we can take anything away from Alex Lynn today. He drove the Mahindra beautifully. He's been not. Saying that Mahindra is, uh, you know, it's not the best car to drive in terms of tyre degradation. The tyres can get a bit too hot and it affects their race pace. But he drove absolutely fantastically today. Could De Vries have maybe mounted a bit more of a challenge with the correct use of attack mode? Who knows? But as it stands, Alex Lynn is our victor today and a deserved one. No, I totally agree with you on that. So let's look ahead to Berlin now. Two races to go in this championship. There's still, like the top 10 are like covered by a race win and 25 points. So it can still swing either way. I think there's still a lot of twists and turns that we can expect in Berlin. Yes, absolutely. It's twists and turns that we've seen all championship long. We talked about it on our show yesterday. It's almost been a little bit of a lottery in some ways, how it keeps changing after each race. But we're now getting to a point where we have one event left, two races to decide the champion. That's, uh, was it, 60 points? Yes. overall, which it's a big swing. It can affect, you know, one driver massively. De Vries is in the leader of the championship at the moment. Does that mean he's going to be a champion? I actually think it's going to be a very hard time for him because being at the top of the championship, he's going to be in group one starting for the first race. Typically, that puts the lead drivers to the back of the grid, as we've seen so many times with this current qualifying format we have. So. I think what's going to win it is consistency. The driver who can pick up the most points, maybe without too much of a risk. We saw with someone like Frains today, he picked up a fourth place finish just by being consistent, keeping himself out of trouble, getting the job done and pick up the pieces as other people had their instance. So again, for Frains, it could have been a very important day for him to stay finishing P4. Could those be the points that gets him the win in the championship? There's so many different permutations to talk about and I can't give you an exact answer as to who's going to be our champion. But that's one of the reasons why I love this championship so much. It's so unpredictable. It's so, you know, out there. Like in Formula One, for example, it's between two drivers. It's between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. In Formula E, 
It's effectively anyone from Nick de Vries down to about Pascal Fairline down in 10th or 11th at the moment. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. The figures with Berlin, I think that Group 1 Saturday qualifying will be huge because that's when the track will be at its dirtiest. Sunday Group 1, at least there'll be some, some rubber laid down from, from the day before, if obviously if it doesn't rain, weather permitting. Because we know Berlin is very abrasive on the tyres. Um, and, and so Group 1 will be very dusty. There'll be a lot of dirt on the track, even though we would have had two practice sessions. So Group 1, I think, for the Fries and, and Frines and those that are in Group 1, the key is to minimize the damage in that on that day and try and be as far up or just close to the top 10 as possible because I can't see I can't see anyone in group one really knowing Berlin and, and knowing where we've been to Berlin before getting into that top 10 on day one maybe day two with a bit more rubber who knows but potentially I don't know what your thoughts are but I think day one will be always about damage limitation for those well, the pressure is going to be on, that's absolutely certain. Any of those drivers who still have a realistic chance at this title, if they have an instance on the first race, be it in qualifying or the race weather, they are then on the back foot trying to pick up the pieces. And with it at this moment in the championship now, where we only have two races left to go, any sort of incident that puts them out of contention, they can say goodbye to the championship. Exactly. Well, we have two weeks then until the Berlin E-Pre. Tofa, thank you so much for doing these with me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been great fun. It's been very much fun. We will see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. <laughs>